This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me again this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. Week 10 of the college football season in the books. Week 9 of the NFL season in the books. The first playoffs rankings have just came out for the college football season. Immediate instant reactions right now. Well, I mean, obviously there's a problem right at the top. I mean, having Ohio State at number one after LSU already beat them last week is a real <laughs> is a massive problem. No, yeah, yes, in case anybody missed the continuation of the joke from last week, yes, we know LSU did not play Ohio State. But ball, I mean, you're looking at the top four right now. You got Ohio State at number one. You got LSU at number two, followed up by number three at Alabama. You have the Nittany Lions of Penn State at number four. And just outside the top four, leaning, looking in, peeking in the door is the Clemson Tigers. So my question to you, Paul, is my knee-jerk reaction is, I mean, I feel like the first four teams are fine. I think I think Clemson is going to continually get bashed for their for really the lack of strength that is the ACC this year. So I mean, my initial reaction is I want to say almost chalk in terms of the teams that are involved, maybe not necessarily the actual order, maybe I would have had LSU number 1, but I think this this is this is this is the first rankings, you know, and I and I think intrigue is meant to spill over and build from this and I do think that on some level, you know, that's what they're trying to pull off here. I, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, listen. If I if I was doing this, my my top five would have been LSU one, Alabama two, Ohio State three, Clemson four, Penn State five. That that's the way I would have done it. I mean, it really the LSU not being one is the most stunning thing. It's more stunning to me than Clemson. Penn State going four five, Penn State four, Clemson five, and not the other way around. I could see the argument. For, for that. I mean, listen, it's the age old question. Are we picking the four best teams? Are we picking the four most deserving teams? Are we picking a balance between? Are we picking teams that if they played on the neutral field, these would be the four best teams, but, but understanding that they also need to, you know, have similar records, you know, especially early on, you know, to make it kind of level the playing field. You can't have a two loss SEC team that, yeah, maybe on a neutral field has more talent and would beat one, you know, Notre Dame last year, for an example, you know, so I I understand you can't have that argument, but it it does seem that LSU has the resume and it has the eye test to have been number one. I'm not sure Ohio state has that signature win yet. And, and the consistent opponents that LSU has already played. Now, maybe, you know, right before we went on air, I was saying maybe part of this was the, you know, the committee kind of copping out of not really wanting to make a, a firm stance on LSU or Alabama for the one spot. So they said, let's put somebody else at one. And then after LSU, Alabama, you know, play this week, whoever wins that game is going to leapfrog Ohio State anyway and then move up to number one. So maybe that's just their way of of copping out a little bit. But I I do think on any test you want to say, if you were going to pick who number one is right now, it should be LSU over Ohio State. And me personally, I still, I know Clemson has not looked like the juggernaut at times that we expect this year, but I still think 
they're more talented. I still think, uh, you know, their body overall is is right now better than Penn State. But I, I think there's time for that to settle out. I think if Clemson goes undefeated, they're going to be there in the Final Four at the end. So I'm not too concerned with that. Uh, but that's th- that would be my small, small gripes right now. But, I mean, I, I don't think it's anything – you know, majorly effective, uh, you know, surprisingly, except for LSU not being one. But I do think if they win this week over Alabama, it's really a moot point because then they're going to be number one. Well, I mean, you know, to your point, I mean, I, I listen, I don't I don't disagree with you. I mean, I would have had LSU number one. I probably I probably would have had Ohio State number two. I probably would have disagreed with you there. And then I would have gone Alabama. Then I probably would have followed up with either Clemson or Penn State. The, the the reason why I, I just kind of swing towards this discussion of LSU and and why I think they need to be there is just it's 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 almost seems a bit contradictory to their own list. I mean, you know, LSU has beaten Auburn, who the committee has ranked at number eleven. So the committee has Auburn ranked at number eleven. So that would be an outstanding win for LSU. Um, you know, LSU also you know has wins you know over over teams that are like you know Florida. Right. I mean, I'm just saying like they beat they beat. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they beat Florida. They beat Auburn and the committee has Florida at number 10 and they have Auburn at number 11. So how is LSU? I mean, because nobody else holds a candle to that. Nobody else has wins over, you know, top 12 teams, I think, you know, outside of LSU. I mean, if you look at Ohio State and you look at what they did prior to this, if we if we if we are trying to do this whole you know, comparison type of thing. Yes, Ohio State beat Wisconsin. Yes, that happened. Outside of that, other than that, tell me where they have, you know, another top 25 team on the committee's list as a win. They 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 just don't. So, I mean, I'm just interested in knowing, you know, where that is. Well, I, I mean, maybe, let me just see. Maybe I'm wrong here. Hold on, let me just double check quickly. No, I mean, I don't I don't see anything. Now, if you go to Penn State, I can understand why Penn State's at number four, probably over Clemson, because if you look at Penn State and what they did throughout the year relative to where the committee has some of the other teams, you know, they do have wins over Iowa, who the committee has ranked right now at number uh, 18 overall. Um, You also look at their other wins that they had this season. They do have wins over Michigan, you know, who the committee currently has Michigan situated at number 14 overall. So if you look at, you know, Penn State and their current record in terms of what they have in terms of quality wins, you know, it's hard to imagine why Penn State might not even, you know, kind of jump in front of, you know, Ohio State. But I I understand that it is, you know, the eye test. And listen, I'm going to tell you, you know, it's hard to argue with that defensive front in terms of what they can do offensively and defensively when you watch Ohio State this year. It's hard to imagine. I mean, I I, I keep saying this all the time. I mean, for, for what all of it's worth, we were joking last time, but... Listen, I saw Justin Fields play in that Wisconsin game, and I'm going to tell you that was the first time Justin Fields has really been challenged this year. And you saw development. like You saw the fact that he needed to develop. And you saw throughout that game a little bit of that maturation process come as he was experiencing more and more under kind of adverse conditions, under a very significant pass rush. You saw that maturation process, and I think that the idea is is that I think Justin Fields is still progressing, still developing to a, you know, to a level that might even, you know, eclipse where he is now by the end of the season. So if you combine that with the offensive firepower that they have, if you combine that with the defensive power that they have, if you literally just, 
you know, compare the Joes and the Joes together. You know, it, the Jimmys and the Joes, it looks like Ohio State's got one of the most dominant teams in the country. But if it is supposed to include the entire body of work, so to speak, I just find it a little lacking in terms of what they've done so far as compared to even Penn State, who sits in the committee's number four. Yeah, I mean, and and you, you, you mentioned LSU beating Auburn and Florida. They also beat a number nine at the time ranked Texas team earlier in the year. So, I mean, that's three wins over top 10 teams that they played at the time. Now, yeah, if you look at where those teams are now, you already mentioned Florida's at 10, you know, Auburn's at 11, you know, but at the, you know, that's three signature wins so far. I mean, listen, the, the beauty of this is it's going to be settled on the field. I mean, I think the bigger, the, the more fun question is, is the loser of LSU Alabama, the loser of Ohio State, yeah. Penn State on November 23rd, is one of those teams. You know, let's assume Clemson with their schedule doesn't lose. Well, and, and when, one more thing, Paul, I don't need to interject, but Penn State's going to be up against Minnesota, who the, who the actual committee has right now ranked at number 17. So there's a lot of things on the, uh, on the tilt, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Ohio State also staring at that Michigan game on November 30th too. So Ohio State's got tough games up. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fascinating to see when the dust settles. If we assume the Penn State Ohio State winner goes undefeated and we assume the LSU Alabama winner goes undefeated. And those are assumptions that might not actually happen because they still have other tough games. But even if they do, that's too. If we assume Clemson goes undefeated in the ACC, that's three. That means that fourth spot would be up for grabs. So maybe it's the loser of Ohio State, Penn State, or the loser of LSU, Alabama. Maybe Georgia has a run in them. You know, maybe it's the Ducks, like from from Oregon. You know, there's there's going to be teams that with the. I don't see a scenario where the four team does isn't a team that has one loss. So that opens the door back up for a lot of teams in this because unless I'm missing something, I don't think it's possible for the for for four teams in the current top ten to to all be undefeated at the end of the year. You know, like because someone's well, got to no, lose I mean, Ohio State, Penn right. State, someone's exactly. got to lose LSU, Alabama. So two of those unbeaten's got to take losses, and you know that would leave two potentially unbeaten's left, and Clemson assuming that they run the table. You know, so that would be three undefeated. And then it's like, okay, someone else, you know, has got to get in. Who's that other team? And I think a lot of it will be determined by how bad the losses are and how they finish out and, you know, conference championships and all that other stuff that, you know, obviously, you know, impacts it. You know, when they lose, that's another big thing. You know, timing of losses is, is, it goes a long way in terms of, you know, being able to bounce back from it. And, you know, in the eyes of, you know, the committee, you know, that's something that I do think uh, is is important. But I mean, you look at the other teams that are, you know, in the top 10, Oregon's already got a loss. Utah's got a loss. Georgia's got a loss. Oklahoma's got a loss. Florida's got losses. Like, so, you know, so it's going to be one of those things that that fourth seed is going to be up for grabs when the dust settles. And if, if two of these teams stumble along the way, then then who knows? So it'll, it'll be fun to follow this. We don't do a lot of general college football talk here anymore. We, we pretty are segmented in our draft coverage stuff. But we thought first first time out of the shoot, 
it, it was kind of fun to kind of talk about this. So many interesting prospects on all these teams. So we're talking about all these teams all the time. So we just thought uh, it, it would serve fit to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, and you know what? And as we translate out of this, Paul, and we transition to everybody that we're going about to talk about tonight. So the the continuing question, I think, on every football fan's mind is, you know, or at least uh, the argument continues to be, what do you think, Paul? College football playoff rankings, committee, the whole the whole shebang. Good thing, bad thing for college football. Go back to the BCS or keep this going? No, I, I, I'll keep this going. I just would like to see – I would like to just see them get to a six or an eight team playoffs yeah, settle it on the field yeah like give take some of the subjectivity out of it put the put the, the the conference champion from each of the the big conferences and then put a couple at large teams so then like you know you can have you know you don't want one team that maybe is 11 and 0 and then gets upset in the conference championship by one point or something or they lose one game early in the year and and you know they're a dominant team so i think you need a couple at large teams but but you know you have the ACC you have you know, you have and the Pac-12. American, and what about the American Conference this year? Right, with Navy, with Memphis, with SMU, with Cincinnati. I mean, you know, like I mean that that conference is humming this year. And listen, there was definitely love from the committee. Cincinnati sits at twenty. Memphis is at twenty-one. Okay, SMU is at twenty-five, and uh, Navy is at twenty-four. Guys, that's that's four teams from one conference that we never talk about. You know what I mean? Give them a whirl, baby. Yeah, and and maybe if they ever went to an eight-team playoff, there can be something in there that if you're from one of the non-Power 5 conferences and you win your conference, you're undefeated, and you're in the top 10 of the playoff standings, you get a, you get a spot. You get one of the at-large spots. Yeah. So to reward those teams that if they really push themselves and have a strong year and you know, they're in the, they're in the top 10 of the playoff committee, but maybe they don't make the top eight and, or top 12, maybe, maybe if they're in the top 12 in the, in the playoff committee standings and they're undefeated and they win their conference, they get one of the at-large teams, like at one of the at-large spots to give these teams a chance, you know, you know, to give those teams that we've seen in the past, you know, make, you know, one of the New Year's Six Bowl games and then really put on an impressive performance. This would give them a legitimate chance, you know, to maybe compete for the national title. Like, you know, think about UCF a couple of years ago when they played that, when they had that great year and then they played that, I think it was against Georgia, right? Uh, you know, in the, one of the big bowl games and they, and they played great or Auburn, I think it was. And they played great against Auburn that year. You know, they showed that they could compete with some of the big boys. So going to an eight game, you know, an 18 playoff, I think would open the door up for maybe a, a team that's having a really special season, not in the power five conferences uh, to maybe get a shot to at least be one of those at large spots, but at the same time, not take the only one. So that's why I think it's got to be eight. If they're going to go to, they give one to each conference winner. I think you got to go to eight because then you got to get it to be, you got to get it to be, you know, three at large spots up for grabs. If you don't want to give it to all the conference champions, then I'm okay with going to six because then it's just top six teams. Maybe you make a stipulation that the six team, you know, could be one of these teams from the non power five conference if they meet certain criteria. So they legitimately got a shot. Uh, 
and that would that would be one approach to take it. I, I definitely think it's better than the BCS that just puts two teams on the field. Uh, I think it's more intrigue. I think it's more exciting. Uh, you know, and I, I I enjoy the semifinal games. I think they're they're a lot of fun. A lot of different matchups we can see there. So so I think it's a positive, but I think it could even go further. Yeah, I, listen, I, I'm right there with you, and I think this was this was a segment well spent on the discussion of a really, really intriguing topic. Listen, we're all football fans here from the NFL to college. And if you're not excited to at least look at the rankings, then I, I question your pulse on the game because you know <laughs> this is one of those nights where everybody tomorrow by tomorrow morning will have a cursory glance at what was said. We all love it. Fair, unfair. It builds the conversation. It makes conversations like this possible. And, and it gives us something to get excited about. So, Paul, as we kind of get into the NFL draft report, let's start at the quarterback position. If you had any quarterbacks that came out of nowhere, or is it more of the same? What did you see this week coming up? Yeah, honestly, I, I have more of the same. I wrote three names out the quarterback position, and it was Jake Fromm, who I think this year has – has had a lot of criticism and, and I've been at the forefront of a little bit of it. I mean, Jake Fromm is a guy who I've looked at since the summer and last year. And I always thought to myself, good prospect round two type guy. Uh, I never saw the top five or the top 10. And it seems that the momentum is that he's not really considered in that mix right now, you know, with the, Tua's and now the Joe Burrows and, you know, maybe even Jordan Love and this, the, People thinking that maybe Jacob Eason, another guy on my list here, maybe he's leapfrog Jake Fromm. But but I but Jake Fromm this week in that Florida Georgia game was was really impressive. Yeah, he looked uh, great. I don't yeah. know what everybody's he looked great, dude. Yeah, what this, do people this want? Was, this was this was this was as good a Jake Fromm game as I've yeah. seen from him, to be I honest agree. with you. Uh against Florida's defense. So I still think you know what it is? I think sometimes these guys the the momentum builds on these guys and then it as the momentum builds the only place for them to go is down and and we start nitpicking and finding things and and listen i've been on record as i don't look at jake Fromm and think big time nfl prospect but i do think i do think he could be a starting nfl quarterback i think you were at the forefront of saying an alex smith type quarterback i think he can be that at the next level but i also could see a scenario where he decides to come back to school and my issues at times with 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 jake Fromm really weren't with jake Fromm. they really were with the georgia program for choosing jake Fromm over justin fields because i think they were doing a disservice to their program and to them having a legitimate chance to win a national title i thought justin fields might have been the guy to get him over to hump and i'm not sure Jake Fromm is. But what I saw this week is a guy who is accurate, really accurate in the short to intermediate, good at going through progressions, good accuracy. Unflappable. Yeah. Is a guy who's going to stand there, take, you know, stand there against pressure, make the big throw. He's got a lot of the intangibles that are going to intrigue NFL teams. He's not going to check off, you know, the at the the great athleticism box, or he's not going to check off the gigantic arm talent box. That's not who he is, but he's a guy who he's a guy that is going to really win over teams in the meeting rooms, get him on the whiteboard. And and that area is going to improve his draft stock. Even if maybe some of the physical things that we would prefer to have in a quarterback 
uh, maybe he can't check that. But I thought it was a big week for him. I thought he needed this performance. I thought the fact that, you know, the tight end to the playoff rankings, the fact that Georgia is sitting there right on the cusp, still ahead of the other one loss teams, I think is really big for Georgia. So I think maybe there's still a chance for Georgia to push themselves into the playoff mix and then from the play and even some more big games with all eyes on him. So while I think he might go back to school, maybe this week's performance against Florida and if he can close out the season strong and if Georgia can make a little bit of a push and he gets some momentum building again, maybe he does go pro. So I thought it was a big week for Jake Fromm, uh, Justin Herbert, uh, I, I, people seem to be a little bit down on Justin Herbert this year. You know, when I was talking, uh, to Kane a couple weeks ago when he filled in for you, you know, we were talking that the, 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 the attention out there seems to be pushing Justin Herbert down a little bit. I don't think he's done anything to really warrant being pushed down. I still think he's a top 10 type player and a top 10 quarterback. Maybe there's been a little bit of separation between him and Tua, and then maybe Joe Burrow has leapfrogged him in in, in some people's eyes. But I still think Herbert is a guy who, you know, when I watch him play – there's some times that I'm left wanting a tad more here or there, but I still think he checks a lot of boxes, his arm talent, his athleticism, his able to move around in the pocket. Herbert is the guy who I think, I think is squarely going to be in play as a top 10 or top 15 pick in this draft. And then Jacob Eason was the third guy I mentioned. He continues to show well this year and show that progress, growth, and development this week. He had 316 yards, four touchdowns. He had a couple interceptions, but but I think Eason is doing what he needed to do. He needed he needed to get some film out there. He needed to show growth and progress because all he was was a, was a guy with a bunch of raw tools and upside because it had been so long since we saw him play. And I think... He's a little bit of a throwback, Eason. He's a little bit more of that traditional pocket passing quarterback. Think the, think like a Drew Bledsoe from, from the yesteryears. You know, that's who Jacob Eason reminds me of. But there are some teams and there are some NFL general managers that still really value that. So I think it's going to get... It's going to get Eason in the mix in the top 50 potential type, even though more of the NFL is skewing towards guys who, you know, could have a little bit more mobility with them, move around in the pocket, do some things. But I mean, listen, Dwayne Haskins wasn't a guy who moved around the pocket, you know, it didn't hurt his draft stock. You know, other guys have been like that too. Jared Stidham, you know, I know he fell a little bit further, but maybe perfect landing spot with New England, but he was another guy that had average at best, probably even below average athleticism. So, so it's why I think NFL teams would prefer a quarterback of the new age with some mobility and athleticism to keep plays alive and do things like that. It's not like the traditional really good pocket passing quarterback is no longer wanted at the NFL level. So I think that very much puts Jacob Eason in the mix. So that's all I had at the quarterback position. Any of those guys you want to elaborate on anything on from Eason or Herbert? No, I, I think you really spelled it out pretty well for all those guys. Let's move on to the next position. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go over to the running back position because I only have one wide receiver, um, one running back, and one tight end. So we'll we'll close with those. But at the wide receiver position, I put that on a couple names that you know, one of them I, I think is definitely going to get your heart fluttering a little bit, and that's Jawan Johnson out of Oregon. I mean, he finally, finally he finally showed up. I mean, it's been only it's only been like eight. It's only been like what it's like two and a half years. No, I, mean, I feel bad for the guy. I feel bad for the guy. He's been injured regularly, regularly. 
Yeah, but 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 what makes him so intriguing is nobody's talking about him. And this is a guy that's been on our radar and yours in particular oh, I mean, from from two from two summers ago. I mean, we're sitting here in you know November of 2019, and we you were talking about him in the summer of 2018, going into last college football season. And I think if I remember correctly, as like a top five receiver. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, he had an outstanding week one last year. I think. And then it just kind of went off the rails after that at Penn State. And then, you know, obviously ended up transferring at Oregon. But He had injuries. There were issues. Transferred. He had more injuries at Oregon. Never got to practice with Herbert. And then he steps on the field and drops three touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, so an impressive game from him this week. And he could be one of those guys that's not getting attention. But he could be an intriguing guy that the NFL – likes and maybe he's not a top 60 pick but maybe he's a third round or a fourth round or a fifth round pick i remember before the season started he was on gil brandt the godfather of the nfl draft he was on his list of top five senior wide receivers so it's not like this oh, he really he was yeah i didn't hear that senior wow. wide receivers he was wow. on his list i think uh because yeah. i remember seeing gil brandt and i remember him putting out a list of senior prospects and i'm almost a hundred percent certain that Jawan johnson he did it on twitter and he just went, you know, a stream of uh, of tweets sending out his top senior prospects. And Jawan Johnson was on that list. And I, and I saw it and I, I made a note of it that, you know, it's not just, you know, it's not just Matt and I and Matt in particular who like this guy. You know, Gil Brandt is putting his name out there as a guy who he's really keeping eyes on as a senior wide receiver. You know, so. Matt, I know you've talked about him a lot, so you don't have to go into the whole profile. But if there's if, for people who might not be that familiar with his game. Is there one or two things about his game that you're most intrigued about that you, when you watched him play and you said, this is a guy I think who could translate at the next level because this point or this point. Yeah. I I think the thing is, I think with Juwan Johnson, I think his size is very obvious. I think his physique is very obvious. And I think people collectively look at that and say, well, he looks the part but he looks the part, yes, but it's the way he actually interweaves those things together in the type of style of game that he plays. What I mean by that is not only does he use that size and, and know how to use that length in order to create opportunities that, that affords him on the field when he's playing against smaller DBs or, or kind of posting up, for lack of a better term, um, you know, when he's posting up a defensive back at the catch point. He's able to use all of that length. So it's, it's, he's really, really well calibrated to his body and he makes for a really difficult cover at the catch point because he's able to control his body. He's able to control his body relative to the defender and he's able to adapt to those situations in ways that are very, very skillful and very, very, very self aware. But the other thing that I think makes him more interesting than people give him credit for is He's not exactly slow off the line of scrimmage. He has good explosive strength at the line of scrimmage, but he's also pretty deceptive within his routes. And that's not to say he's anywhere near like the Jerry Judys of the world or he's doing what Jalen Rieger does or even even Michael Pittman at times like can do things better than Juwan Johnson. But it's the collective whole that is Juwan Johnson, both as a route runner, both in the skill that he can bring to his vertical stems in terms of being deceptive, in terms of creating space throughout his entire route, but also when the going gets cuffed and he has to go up for a 50-50 ball, he has the body control and the physical strength to win at the catch point, and he knows how to do it and adapt under a variety of circumstances. I'm sure somewhere on the interwebs, 
there's still that catch, and I forget who it was against last year, but there's still that catch from Penn State circulating around from last year where he literally went up one-handed, grabbed the ball, and literally kept both feet in bounds. Almost very similar to the Brian Edwards uh, show-out play that came up last week, if you guys remember, the big Brian Edwards one-handed Odell Beckham-type catch. Well, that was the precursor was Juwan Johnson's Odell Beckham-type catch that he had last year at Penn State, and it was just a spectacular play. And I think He's going to be a player that, you know, you see the Alan Lazards of the world getting the run in Green Bay. And this is not to, you know, marginalize what Alan Lazard was capable of. But if you think if Alan Lazard is getting play at the NFL level, and we had concerns about him in terms of his overall ability, I mean, he's still a good player. He can fill out a team and the depth of a roster. But if Alan Lazard can work his way up into a functional wide receiver, um, and getting the opportunities that he has, then Juwan Johnson should very much be in play for a lot of teams in terms of what they want in terms of filling out their depth chart. He's going to surprise people, I think, in terms of his quote-unquote numbers, you know, in terms of the combine. Um, even though we don't hold much stock in that, I, I still believe there are circles of people that may consider that important. Um, I, I think he's going to give them enough to think about. And I think his film, even though limited and marred by injuries and just inconsistent um, performances in terms of, you know, overall production, I think the times that you see him on the field and the film that he did put down, I think you're going to come away saying, the guy's got a lot to be interested in. And you know what? That's a testament to, I think, what Gil Brent might have seen, and his access is, is way surpasses ours. So, I mean, for him to kind of even bring that up means that these glimpses, these these kind of insights that he, we can see into his game in terms of what he can do throughout his vertical stem at the catch point, and even after the catch, he wins with play strength. He is a little bit elusive. Like, he's a very complete receiver. So, Paul, I mean, if this guy had put down a full career with none of these interruptions, I mean, I, I, I mean, I had him, I had him as high as top five, along with Des Fitzpatrick, who was another guy that fits into that mold. I, I think there's a lot of skill in this class. I think those guys are very skillful, and I think they're going to find their way onto NFL rosters. Yeah, I think I think you're right, and 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 I think Johnson is a guy that really could build some momentum here to close out the season, and then if he could have a strong, you know, pre-draft process, it could elevate his draft stock. Another guy I want to bring up is Michael Pittman Jr. We have talked about him a little bit. Uh, you know, former co-host of ours, uh, Bill Ladin has been a huge fan of Pittman, Michael Pittman Jr. for quite some time. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, Jim Nagy, the senior bowl director, put out a tweet this weekend and said, if, if Pittman wasn't playing so often on late at night, uh, the attention that he would be getting would be a lot greater than it is. And I do think it does, that kind of speaks a little volumes about, he does seem to be going under the radar a little bit. I know when I watch film over the summer, I looked at him and I put him, I think I put his draft projection as a late second or uh, early day three type player. And I said, he, NFL teams are going to be more intrigued with him than maybe like the draft Twitter community is. He he's size, physicality, toughness, great special teams player, uh, more athletic than than people give him credit for, and. I think this year he has kind of solidified his status that I think I think top 
60 is in play. And if not, but if not by the end of this round two, I think he's very much now in the top 100 mix. And I think that's, he's finally put it together to, to have a statistical and production to match, I think, his overall talent. And I think that's nice to see uh, when that kind of comes together in in a player's last year. Uh, so I think that's been fun to see. Uh, and then how about a blast from the past? I mean, we talked about that Florida-Georgia uh, game. Lawrence Cager this past weekend, seven catches, 132 yards, and one touchdown. He is a guy – you know, that I feel like we had talked about him in the past, but then kind of, you know, kind of, you know, out of sight, out of mind a little bit. And now I think, you know, developed basically into George's go-to receiver the other day. Any any thoughts on Pittman Jr. or Lawrence Cage or Matt? I, I, I like both of them. I think uh, Pittman to a significantly more degree, higher degree than Lawrence Cager. But Lawrence Cager was was relatively hidden in the Miami offense. I mean, he really he only got play a little bit towards last year in terms of really getting that sustained opportunity. And a lot of that had to do, again, being marred by injuries, not really having the opportunity early on. But this was a player that, you know, was was highly recruited. It was not like he Cager wasn't, you know, was an unknown, a virtual unknown. I mean, he was a player that was fairly well known. And, you know, I mean, and he really started to to, to kind of ball out last year you know, at Miami. And I, and I look at players like Michael Pittman, same thing. I mean, Michael Pittman was a pretty highly touted prospect and you know what? He, he really never soured in terms of being able to perform when he was on the field, but again, marred by injuries. And Michael Pittman was a player that we even talked about in the wide receiver positional preview shows as being a player that could, along with guys like Jamon Osmond, could really begin to have that meteoric rise that we look for throughout the season. And I think it's very well in play for both of those players. And Lawrence Cager continues the story that he started at Miami, now on the biggest stage of all in the SEC you know, in the SEC uh, East, playing at that caliber of talent and those caliber of players showing he can do it against the best. And I, I mean, I, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you can't help but let your heart flutter a little bit for the guy because when you do watch him, it, he's, he's far more than just, a, you know, a, a pedestrian wide receiver. I mean, he, he has nuance to his game. And I remember doing a couple of videos on him last year. Um, on Twitter about him and just some of those nuances that he showed in terms of the way he understood how to separate at the top of routes, the way he knew how to manipulate space, manipulate time, manipulate opponents' uh, tendencies. He he really is a, an intelligent player, and I'm just happy to see that kind of coming to fruition. But you're right. I mean, now he's the go-to guy. I mean, it just keeps getting deeper, Paul. We think, what are they going to do? They can't draft all 45 of these guys, though. I mean, like, you know, and I'm not saying that we're 45 deep, but Let's say, for example, that we're, what, 25 deep wide receiver that probably could play on an NFL field, and that's maybe being generous. But let's say conservatively we're talking 15, you know? I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, it it really is. And, you know, I remember last year when the draft ended, I couldn't believe how little – how few wide receivers were drafted and how many guys who I thought were going to get drafted based on historical projections in terms of how many receivers running backs and stuff usually get drafted. And usually it's in the mid thirties or mid to high thirties sometimes. And last year it was in like the mid, the low to mid twenties. And that was just because I think more than ever, the late rounds are, you know, I almost look at it as the NFL draft is probably around five rounds. 
And then after that, the rounds, and even some in the fifth round, maybe you could even make the case four rounds, but I'll say I think it goes five rounds. And then the last couple rounds, I think it's about fitting team needs, fitting special teams, guys that you think you can get over to the taxi squad and and not get sniped. Uh, You know, it's really a unique scenario that, you know, even in round six, round seven, a lot of times guys that you might hear about, potentially being fourth round picks or fifth round picks they don't even get drafted and i think this year it's going to be a staggering number of guys that we expect or assume will get drafted and we're going to be sitting there and the draft's going to be over and these guys are going to be signing as udf free agents and we're going to be like wow i mean i can't believe that guy just you know went there as a udfa free agent and it, it just speaks on the depth of the class and, and let me round out the wide receiver position a couple names one we haven't mentioned in a while jd spielman in nebraska if you like greg dorch if you like that kind of guy the quickness the uh, the guy who playmaking ability i think jd spielman out of nebraska is a guy who you know could could be a guy that could add a dynamic weapon, a guy that can play the slot exclusively, but has some juice, has that quickness, separation quickness, has that yak ability. I think he's a guy who is probably going to be a guy that generates a little bit of buzz in the pre-draft process. And then Chase Claypool, you've been, he's another guy that we talked about you talking about Jawan Johnson in the summer of 2018. You were mentioning Chase Claypool then as well. You know, sometimes I feel like you're just you're on these guys sometimes a year early, but but Claypool is living up to that potential that you saw. And after how we saw Miles Boykin test last year in the pre-draft process, I'm kind of want to see what these Notre Dame. I kind of want to see what the next big Notre Dame guy does in in Chase Claypool and see if there maybe is even better athleticism than we thought. Uh, out of out of Claypool, but he's very much in the mix as a guy who you know again probably day three, but but uh, but a, a guy who could play at the next level for sure. Well, and and I'll give you one more name to round out the wide receivers, a guy that keeps popping up, and uh, considering that Baylor is probably one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Denzel Mims is a player that we keep forgetting about, and he's six foot three, two hundred and eight pounds. And if you want to talk about a player that lives in the world somewhere between the, you know, Michael Pittmans and the Brian Edwards and the Colin Johnsons of the world, if you want to talk about that big wide receiver that has some nuance to his game, some skill to his game, some awareness, some hyper perceptive cognitive skills going on. Denzel Mims is is actually pretty interesting. I mean, I mean that's a guy that I continue to kind of I would continue to pound the table for him as being a player that we need to be very very resonant and cognizant of in terms of what he's doing as the season continues to unfold and continues to progress because in terms of his overall strengths, I mean, his change of direction speed, his body control, his motor coordination and transition from wide receiver to running back, his agility, his releases versus off coverage, route deception, very much improved from the previous year, high-speed change of direction routes, hands, contact fidelity. His blocking is probably amongst the best in the class. He can absolutely put a DB in his parents' lap. You know, if he wants to, he can just hoist him up by his pads and throw him into the stands. He's a very intriguing, powerful prospect, very much in the in the vein of he could have a Preston Williams type of story arc at the NFL level. You know, go late, go undrafted, 
and then somehow work his way up the depth chart, show out when it comes to the preseason, and earn his way onto a field. Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely he's a guy that, again, we talked a lot about two summers ago. So he's another guy. Last year, uh, Jalen Hurd kind of took a lot of the luster away from him, but Mims is the guy very much to be on your radar. And then we, we'd be remiss if we didn't, at least in, for a second in the wide receiver position, talk about the devastating injury to Tylen Wallace, who Terrible. was having a fantastic year. I know, I remember, I think it was last week, Matt, on Twitter, mm-hmm. I saw you saying that, you know, you were you were basically doing a mea culpa saying he should even be higher on your ranks, how skilled and, and talented he was. Uh, you know, and I know he was somewhere in that six to eight range or something for me as well. Uh, torn ACL, it'd be interesting to kind of see, does he declare and, you know, hope that he gets drafted somewhere on day three. Does he come back and, and try to, you know, you know, come back from the injury at the college level? Does he want to risk it again? So it'd be interesting to see what Wallace's decision is, but really unfortunate news when, when that happens, to any player, especially a highly regarded player, uh, like Wallace. So just definitely wanted to mention that. And let's run out the NFL draft report real quick. I have one running back and one tight end on my list. Hunter Bryant, six catches, 105 yards and two touchdowns. Every time I watch him play, I don't know if there's going to be a a guy who emerges in that dual capability. Uh, But if you're looking for that pass catching role, I don't think anybody's going to be more skillful in doing that than Hunter Bryant. If you want to ask him to do the Evan Ingram, the Jordan Reed, uh, you know, what people thought Trey Burden was going to be, what Aaron Hernandez was once upon a time, you know, I think Hunter Bryant could play that role perfectly at the next level his speed his athleticism his receipt route running ability his receiving ability uh he's he's stayed healthy this year which has been good to see uh so stock up on hunter bryant and then zach moss back from his injury a week or two ago uh this past week showed he's, he's got he's one of those guys that can have carry a heavy workload i mean not gaudy stats this week 27 carries for only 100 yards but showing that he's back to a guy who can be a bell cow type running back and i thought it was nice to see him uh have a little bit of an impact in the passing game as well five catches 41 yards and another touchdown moss is a guy i haven't been as high on in some in the community i know uh you know, Dane Brugler, whose opinion is near the top in terms of respected NFL draft analysts. He's been very high on Zach Moss since last year before Zach Moss's injury that derailed his season last year. He thought he was maybe a top, you know, 50, 60 pick. He continually still, for me, is a day three type player. Uh, but, but a guy who could be a, a fourth round pick who emerges into a committee, a plus side of the committee, the equivalent of a starting running back at the NFL level. Uh, but it's nice to see him back for Utah and, you know, obviously Utah having a really strong season. You know, they were in the top, the initial top 10 there that you rattled off to start the show in terms of the playoff standing. So Moss is a guy. It's going to kind of be fun. Hopefully he can stay healthy the rest of the year. Uh, and we'll end up getting an opportunity to see him in the pre-draft process and kind of how we test out, uh, at the NFL, uh, for the NFL. Any thoughts on Moss or Bryant? No, actually, let me just kind of take this over to the Devi slant and, and kind of take a look at some of the players. I mean, actually, I have quite a short list tonight. There's not really a, a tremendous amount, but I want to spotlight one player who had really what I would consider to be a, a breakout game of sorts, and that'll be a player that we'll speak about in a minute. But to start at the quarterback position, I think a player that I keep kind of reminding people of um, just because maybe it's just a personal player that I'm I'm kind of like, you know, 
kind of <laughs> cozying up next to and saying, that's my guy. Um, but Miami redshirt freshman uh, QB Jaron Williams took back over the Miami starting position. He went 21 for 37 for 313 yards and two touchdowns as they kind of won against Florida State this past weekend. And Jaron Williams, I think, is a player that, you know, again, I think he's a quarterback that's going to continue to mature. He's going to continue to to, to gain skill. And provided that Miami stays with him, I think he's a player that will be on the rise, um, especially if he can solidify that position once and for all as the starter. So we'll see how it goes. But, I mean, it was promising to see that type of growth and development. Another player that I want to bring up, I mean, by now, if you're in a Devi league and you have any picks right now in the probably top five or so, uh, of your Devi draft. I think there's going to be a lot of intriguing players probably out there for you to choose from, from obviously, you know, the Jamar Chases of the world, from the Jerion Elys of the world. But I would be really, really pressed not for you to consider sophomore six foot six, 239 pound tight end. That's Kyle Pitts from Florida. I mean, again, against, against recently, I mean, you look, you look at what he did against Georgia. He had four receptions for 78 yards. I mean, when you watch a move on the field, I think I put out a, a tweet where he just gave me, just gave me feelings and flares of what, you know, David Njoku was doing in Miami. He gave me that type of feeling when I was watching him play his ability to catch the ball, transition to a runner after the catch, his physical strength and dominance on the field, his understanding of how to use that in the open field to not only just elude players, because he is capable of doing that, but just also able to, you know, that contact fidelity where he understands how to embrace his size can size up and re- and, and handle what players are throwing at him and still gain yards. He's a player that I just continue to be really impressed with. I'd be hard pressed right now if I were in a Debbie league where I might not just double down. I know this is crazy. I might just double down immediately, you know, on the tight end position. And I might go grab Brevin Jordan and Kyle Pitts and say, I'm done with my tight end position at the NFL level right now. I know that's kind of crazy to think about, but I still think these guys are really, really, really good. And even I'd even throw Baylor Cup in there. He was having an outstanding preseason over in uh, Texas before, um, you know, the traumatic injury that he he ended up, you know, kind of dealing with this year. But Baylor Cup is another guy that I might just throw my hat in the ring. I mean, we wide receivers, Paul, we already talked about it. Wide receivers, they're coming up. They're coming up all the time. You know what I mean? But the tight ends, man, it seems like we have a dearth of tight ends, right, at the NFL level to really choose from in terms of fantasy. So, I mean, it maybe you kind of got to zag a little bit while everybody else is zigging. I mean, so that that's why I just throw that out there. Am I, am I silly on that, Paul? I mean, is there is – there, I mean, it's a little bit off kilter, but – Right? Doesn't it just seem like we're we're constantly looking for tight ends when we're playing these fantasy games? Yeah, I mean, I I think we're we're always looking for the, those elite guys because we do think that we realize that the gap between the teams that have tight ends in fantasy and the teams that don't it, is wide. And if you don't have one of those top six, maybe this year we've stretched it out to seven or so. If you don't have one of those top seven tight ends, it's like the next 10 to 15 are all the same. So you're not getting any edge on it whatsoever. And if you play in two tight end leagues or tight end premium leagues and you have the opportunity to have two of these guys in that mix, I think it does give you a a significant edge uh, in terms of differentiating your team from other teams. And we're looking for those guys that can be impactful receivers and 
are on the field, you know, 80, 90% of the offensive snaps. And I mean, you mentioned Pitts already. And I, I love that you started with this with Jerron Williams because those were the only two guys. I'd written down two names tonight for my, for, for Debbie Slant. And if you didn't bring them up, I would would. And one was the Miami quarterback and then one was tight end Kyle Pitts. But I, I think you're right. I think by trying to solidify those positions and it, it's, always a very devalued position in Devi. And the reason why I think it's devalued is we know how hard of the transition is to the That's NFL right. game. Yeah. So I do think it leaves a buying window and an opportunity for us to invest in those tight ends. And if we hit, yes, the, the wait is long, but if we hit, we're getting something that is going to be very impactful. And you don't usually have to waste your first round Devi pick. Sometimes not even your second round Devi pick. You could sometimes get the tight ends a little bit later in your Devi drafts, uh, you know, from what I've seen at times. And even, you know, even when, you know, I've taken part in, you know, uh, mock Devi drafts and stuff like that, the tight ends don't seem to go all that high. No, no. And, and, and I think that if you're in your, your quintessential one round Devi and you're sitting there at number, you know, 10 through 12 in your league and you're saying, I could take a freshman or I could take Kyle Pitts. I'm taking Kyle Pitts and, I, and I'm going to ride that train because I'm going to tell you right now, the reason why I'm, I'm high on those two particular ones, Kyle Pitts and Brevin Jordan is, is that there is a body of work to look at them through. There's a lens to see those players through. There's consistency and there's some pedigree. So I just have two more names. Um, the last one being number one, uh, Wandale Robinson. We got to, we haven't said enough about Wandale Robinson this year. And now with, uh, Maurice Washington kind of dealing with off the field issues, not even on the roster currently right now, the incredibly talented running back. It's just, it's just not, doesn't seem to be working out right now at Nebraska. Wandale Robinson, the true freshman, has really kind of come in and he was, you know, heralded as that Rondale Moore-esque type of player that can just do everything. He was actually a running back in high school and he is one of the most exciting players I ever saw um, on film in terms of what he was capable of doing. And, you know, I mean, this past weekend against Purdue, he had seven receptions for 46 yards. And in terms of rushing, he had 14 rushes for 29 yards as well. And you might say, you know, that's nothing too impressive. But if you consider last week, he even had six receptions for 71 yards against Notre Dame, or excuse me, against Indy. And then he had 22 attempts for 83 yards on the ground and a rushing touchdown. This is a guy that just scores all over the field. He's dangerous in the open field. He's an absolute monster. I think he's only going to grow and get better. And then the guy I wanted a spotlight tonight, this is kind of the spotlight that I wanted to kind of shine. And that's on Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M. I mean, he had an absolute monster game, 20 attempts, 217 rushing yards, good for three touchdowns. He added one reception for just seven yards. But Isaiah Spiller, yes, does sound familiar. CJ Spiller, Isaiah Spiller, it is not coincidence. It is actual reality. Um, Isaiah Spiller is a really interesting prospect. And I think, you know, I think people, when they watch Isaiah Spiller, they're saying, well, what are we going to get from this guy? And when I saw him coming out of high school, I mean, in terms of who he was 
in my eyes. I mean, I saw a player whose best traits were really his vision, his hands, his overall route running, his acceleration, his contact fidelity, agility, and his ability to run on the interior and, and the outside is really impressive. I had him kind of slotted as a lead committee back early with the potential to be a kind of a scheme versatile starter. And when you look at him in terms of his overall ability, I mean, things that really stood out to me was his sensitivity to both pursuit direct trajectories of defenders as well as blocking angles. He really knew how to create opportunities through the manipulation of defenders and set up blocks while also being able to identify cutback lanes on both interior and outside zone schemes. He had the ability to do everything that was needed in order to kind of really exploit what was what the opportunities that were available for him. He displayed that functional acceleration. He knew how to use his burst. He wasn't a guy who just kind of hit the turbo button, but he knew how to time it appropriately given the circumstances, and he recognized where his agility and contact fidelity were going to be powerful, powerful weapons when he was trying to create space, avoid tackles, or even gain yardage. His skill within collisions Definitely is challenged now at the next level, but he's shown the ability to overcome those challenges and he's become very versatile both in the run and the pass game. I, I, I think Spiller could be a player that is going to emerge even further as this season unfolds. And I think we're going to really look at Isaiah Spiller and see a very, very functional overall running back. I do not think we're talking about necessarily here, you know, a player like DeAndre Swift, nor are we talking about a, you know, uh, a guy like John Emery, I'm not going to say you should be taking him, you know, over Trey Sanders, but I'm thinking like if you're in that, you know, 12 to 14 team league and you're in that second round of a, of a Debbie draft where you have, you know, a couple of extra, you know, picks or even early in the second round, this is a player that I'm going to snatch up everywhere I can. And I'm going to feel very confident that I've got a player who's could very well contribute at the next level. Yeah, I mean, I think Spiller is definitely a name that ne- needed to be talked about, so I'm glad you brought him up. I'm pretty sure you brought him up early in the year as well, so this is now the second time uh, that we've talked about him and, you know, really impressive performance by him this past weekend. So let's close it out uh, with the quick tail of the tape as we look ahead to Week 11, matchups we're excited about, and then uh, a quick NFL uh, draft report, I mean, a quick NFL rookie report for Week 9. So in Week 11, a couple big games stand out and prospects that we're going to have our eyes on that Penn State Michigan game now that Penn State you know we know they're number four in the rankings we know Minnesota's in there as well in the top 20 so really big game there obviously from Minnesota keep an eye on running back Rodney Smith and then wide receiver Tyler Johnson for Penn State they have those freshman running backs uh Sean Clifford the quarterback uh, so that, that'll be a fun game to watch. Tough game for Penn State. You know, we could see them, you know, this game is a lot tougher than they might, than it might seem that we were already talking about Penn State, Ohio State. I think Penn State's going to have their hands full this week to see if they could even eventually get to that Ohio State game undefeated. Uh, Baylor versus TCU. I bring it up purposely for the talk about the wide receivers. Uh, you brought up Dental Mims earlier today uh, in, in conversation during the NFL draft report. So how does he perform in this game? And then Jalen Rieger, who's really been starting to get it going over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so electric players, every time I watch him reminds me of a Tyree kill or Brandon cooks type player, uh, Iowa, Wisconsin, Jonathan Taylor 
for Wisconsin. Nate Stanley for Iowa are going to be the guys I'll have on my eyes on most often. Uh, Maryland, Ohio State, I mentioned because last year Anthony McFarland had a couple really big runs against Ohio State. Interested to see if he can get anything going this this weekend. Obviously, Ohio State should cruise in this game. All the guys, fun to watch. And then last but not least, obviously, right now the game of the year, LSU, Alabama, you know, number two and number three in the playoff rankings. Uh, How does Joe Burrow look in this game? The wide receivers at LSU have eyes on all of them, you know, Jefferson and and Marshall and and Chase. And then for Alabama, is Tua Tua healthy, ready to go? Is a huge storyline. The wide receivers, obviously, all of them, Judy and and Smith and Ruggs and Waddle. uh, And then Najee Harris. And a lot more emphasis could be on Najee Harris if Tua isn't available to go in that game uh so those are the things that stand out for me this week matt any any thoughts on these especially lsu alabama yeah i I think you're going to expect to see i think from the wide receiver position when it comes to lsu i want to see how those receivers respond i mean that's a young receiving core justin jefferson i think is for sure somebody that i want to see because i think that's going to be a really important player i think his his stock has been nothing but rising all year and i think paul to your point and i think it was an excellent point um, I, I want to see Najee Harris because everything that you, you'll see, if you watch all the big statistics, all the analytics, everything that's going on with these top players and where they fit on, you know, different dominators and things of that nature, um, Najee Harris shows up, you know, as a top five, top six or seven guy. And we forget that he didn't really play a whole lot like since he's been there until this year. And just to, just to know that with a full season or a full season of partial work, whatever you want to consider it, he's, he's a very effective runner. And I think it's just because people don't like the way he does it. I think I really do. I, it's just, he's not JK Dobbins and he's not Cam Akers and he's not DeAndre Swift, but he's very, he's very, very Derrick Henry esque in some ways. He's very, very, he's more of a ballerina than you think in terms of what he can do between the tackles and in tight spaces. He's an extremely agile runner. And I know it doesn't look like that because we have this percept, you know, this perception of agility and he doesn't necessarily fit that picture. But we have to understand that agility just means your ability to adapt your own body to the problem in front of you. And he just has a different body than most people on this planet. So he has to adapt in a very unique way, but he gets the job done. He does nothing but move the chains and get tough yardages. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I'd be interested to see how much Harris is asked to do, you know, if two is playing, but not a hundred percent healthy or if he's not going to play. Uh, so it, it, and again, I think I think Harris is going to be a guy that surprises people in the pre-draft process. I think he's going to test out really well athletically, especially in the explosion drills, the the adjusted forty time. I think he's going to be a good receiver too. The jumps, yeah. I I think you know the only thing he might not test out well in is is the change of direction time stuff. But but again, let's know who he is and who he isn't. Uh, you know, and Derrick Henry tested out as an elite athlete at the combine, but not in. In, in a couple of the shuttle drills and stuff like that, but the jumps, the, the 40, et cetera, et cetera. I think Harris will test that really well as well. So let's close this out with the NFL rookie report for week nine. A couple names I want to bring up right out of the gate that I think stock up on Devin Singletary, probably the most since last week. Listen, I've gone on record is that I have my reservations about whether or not he could be the guy moving forward. Uh, 
you know, he's not, doesn't have elite speed. He doesn't, he's not a great receiver out of the backfield. He doesn't have great power, but he's very shifty. He's got good agility. He's got good stop and start acceleration and change of direction stuff. I think naturally he's a part of, of a committee, but they did invest a third round pick. He's getting a lot of work now for the Bills. So I think stock is squarely up on Devin Singletary for people who invested a second round rookie pick on him. They got to be feeling pretty good about it. He's giving them some productive weeks and I think he could really be an impact, you know, down the stretch here. And if he does really have a big impact, maybe it, it allows Buffalo not to go, you know, shopping for a running back in free agency or the top of the draft. Maybe they get someone to compliment him, you know, in the third, fourth round. But if, if they don't go out and get a guy in round one or round two or spend big money in free agency, you know, then big time stock up on Devin Singletary. So while I still think maybe they add someone to the mix there who's a little bit more of an all-around three-down player. They did invest top 100 pick in Singletary, and he's going to get every opportunity to be the lead guy there. And we saw him kind of finally wrestle away the, the rain from Frank Gore this week to, yeah, 23 touches this weekend. And I'm kind of expecting maybe to see 15 to 18 moving forward now, and the baton might have been passed to him. At tight end position, Noah Fant is now playing like – 80, 90%, I think, at a snap, seeing a lot of targets this week. He got free for a 75-yard touchdown catch, had over 100 yards in the game, showed his athleticism uh, on the big play, breaking tackles. Again, he's got a lot of route refinement and route understanding to do. He's got to clean up some drops. But with the Emmanuel Sanders trade, it's opened the door for even more targets there in Denver. And right now, it's, it's Cortland Sutton is option one and Noah Fan is option two. So he's going to get every opportunity to work through some of those growing pains and get an opportunity to be that impactful tight end that so many wanted. At the wide receiver position, I want to mention Andy Isabella. He finally got on the field last Thursday night and caught an 88-yard touchdown catch. I don't know if that's going to get him on the field more moving forward, but I think it should. Arizona is dying for some speed and playmaking at the wide receiver position. Everything else is is mostly short underneath stuff to Christian Kirk and to Larry Fitzgerald that they are just craving a guy to get over the top and make big plays in space. Maybe that could be Isabella. I think right now he could probably still be had for very cheap in terms of, you know, compensation, he's a guy who I, you know, they invested a pretty good pick in him, like a late second round or early third round pick in him. I think they still have plans for him and you probably can get him on the cheap right now. Uh, DK Metcalf, like he's, he's been better than I've even expected him to, but they are, but they are just asking him to be, do things that he could be successful at. And, and I kind of laughed a little bit because I saw a, a tweet by Daniel Jeremiah uh, I think it was Sunday and it, it said something along my, my, my uh, co-host uh, Bucky Brooks just had the perfect uh, comparison for DK Metcalf and it was a souped up Ted Ginn. And, and I laughed because I, that was something that last, last year in the pre-draft process, I, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to go on the Harris football podcast and I mentioned that to Chris Harris and he kind of looked at me and he was really high on, on DK and obviously not that high in, in general on Ted Ginn, but my rationale and I, and I'm, I haven't heard the conversation with DJ and Bucky about it, but my rationale for it, and I'm assuming is what Bucky's rationale is, is that the ways that DK Metcalf can win are the same ways that Ted Ginn could win. They're just doing it with very different body types. So the impact that DK Metcalf could have 
is in a in a Ted Ginn type way, is in a Josh Gordon early in Cleveland career way, where he's just he can run those nine routes, run those slants, get vertically down the field, and make plays. And that's what DK Metcalf is doing. So I so stock up on DK Metcalf uh, right now. I'd be interested to kind of see. I actually think the Josh Gordon going there could spook some dynasty owners, and maybe you could even get him a, a tad. Based on his production recently, I doubt too much of a discount. But if somebody was looking for some immediate stuff right now, maybe they're a little spooked off by Josh Gordon being there for the rest of the year. That maybe you can buy him at the value that he cost last year. Some drafts he went in the you know early part of round two, uh, and and didn't even go in the first round of rookie drafts. So it'll be interesting to to kind of know what his value is right now. Preston Williams, we got to talk about the undrafted free agent out of Colorado state had a breakout five catch 72 yard, two touchdown game, but unfortunately tore his ACL. But I think with, listen, the Dolphins got a ton, a ton of draft picks and they're going to make a lot of additions, but, but there's a depth chart there that, Preston Williams is going to have an opportunity to, even when he comes back from his torn ACL, I think he has shown enough that he's going to get an opportunity. So if you drafted him, hopefully you have some IR spots in that league that you can kind of hold on to him and just kind of let him sit there and kind of wait it out because he was really emerging and it was in a, he was emerging in a really poor situation. Like, you know, Rosen and Fitzpatrick at the quarterback, not playing well. They traded away all their other good players, offensive line, terrible, you know, Conditions terrible, and he was really showing it. So I thought that was impressive. And then at the quarterback position, Gardner Minshew has now been benched for Nick Foles coming back from injury. Dwayne Haskins got his first start. Wasn't really asked to do much of anything. Mostly short check down stuff. 15 of 22 for 144 yards. Uh, showed some really poor pocket presence uh, and uh, unable to get through progressions quickly. Some inaccuracy issues in his first start. Kyler Murray, really impressive last week against San Francisco. 49ers on Thursday night football on Halloween. She's continuing to show the maturity and the development that I think the Cardinals wanted to see uh, him show. And it, it was nice to see Daniel Jones on Monday night football last night against the Cowboys, a couple more turnovers issues that he has to clean up, but I don't walk away as a giants fan deterred. When I watch Daniel Jones, I see him stick the ball into really tight windows. At times I see a guy who remains calm can make plays happen with his legs. He's, he's got to clean things up for sure. Does he got to get his mental clock going a little bit quicker at times uh, to get for his progressions a little faster for sure? Does he got to protect the ball for sure? But there are a lot of things that he shows already, toughness, resilience, accuracy, ball placement, uh, deep passing that I, that I walked away that, yeah, he's having a rookie season. Rookie, it's hard to play quarterback in the NFL, especially when you're on a really, really poor team with a really poor offensive line. But I walk away and thinking Daniel Jones – like I said, much better than I originally had given him credit for. And as a guy who could be a long-term fixture there behind center for the Giants. So Matt, any thoughts on there? I know I mentioned a couple guys, you know, that, you know, that you were fond of in Preston Williams. Uh, I mentioned Singletary, Isabella, any thoughts on anybody? Yeah. I mean, well, actually I would just add to those names a little bit. I would say, you know, obviously you mentioned Preston Williams, but I'll add your, 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 I guess your weekly public service reminder of Deontay Johnson. You could still go get him. And Irv Smith Jr., you can still go get him. And I'll even throw one more out there. I also think it's worth kind of beginning to kind of gamble on and maybe even pry away Terry McLaurin, who 
that is just a absolute dumpster, you know, of a, of a, of a situation. And you might find a Terry McLaurin fan who's like, you know what? I, I I'll tell you, I, you know what? I'll get rid of Terry McLaurin for a third. You know, I'll, I'll throw him back in and I don't know what's happening there. And I'm not sure what's going to go on in the future. So I'll trade for, I'll trade Terry McLaurin. You might find some people that are interested in doing that. And just, just, I'm, I'm sorry to throw it out there, Paul. There's one player that you missed. I know, I know you're going to, the substitute teacher himself, Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro is arguably, again, I'm not going to say that, you know, I'm not going to say I love Hunter Renfro, but I'm going to say that, I'm going to say I have strong feelings about his future. And you know what? He is emerging. He is emerging. He's finding an opportunity now to be the guy that we thought he could be, which is that intermediate, all situations, no matter what, he's open type of guy. Hunter Renfro is emerging in Oakland. I would, I would seriously, if he's still anywhere near the waiver wire, I would snatch him up and hold on to him because I think he's a lifetime slot receiver who is going to age like a fine wine because he wins because of what he understands on the field, not because of physically what he was gifted with in any way. Yeah, I mean, listen, Hunter Renfro, you know, Cole Beasley has made himself quite a career in the NFL. And this year he cashed out, went to Buffalo, and he's having a very nice year there in Buffalo. And and that's not even really an offense that caters to the short to intermediate type passing that Cole Beasley is who he is. You know, right now, Hunter Renfro is set up in the with a team and a quarterback that he fits the skill set and the, the scheme perfectly. You know, so it... it it's great to see him being successful. Uh, I think he's a guy who's going to continually be a guy, like you said, who maybe never has looked at in the fantasy realm as as a guy that is a must play. But in deep leagues where you start five or six wide receivers and it's PPR, you know, in deeper leagues, I think he's a guy who could have some fantasy value from here or there. But real life value, I think, is going to supersede what even his consistent fantasy value might be. Uh, and, it, and it's great to see. And uh, yeah, Deontay Johnson is another guy who I think, you know, use if they struggle a little bit and I'll, and I'll, and I'll put Terry McLaurin in this, and this would be my final two points of the evening is a couple of weeks ago, Terry McLaurin's value was skyrocketing. Now it's going the other way. And if Dwayne Haskins struggles and the Redskins continue to struggle, it might be the best thing that could happen for somebody that's a fan of Terry McLaurin's game because situations change, quarterback plays improve, et cetera, et cetera. But if Terry McLaurin has a very suspect second half of the year, it might open a window in the offseason when people are oohing and on for more draft picks. It might open a window where you can get Terry McLaurin for a late second or an early third round pick or even a mid third round pick, you know, depending on the size of the league. It's not inconceivable. A couple of weeks ago, it would have probably yeah. cost you an early second or a late first based on how he was playing. So don't, again, don't overvalue statistics and production week to week when evaluating players that you're fond of. We've already seen Terry McLaurin have success at this level. And if his success the second half of the year uh, falls a little bit, it's more of his surroundings than him. Use that to your advantage in this offseason. You could say the same thing about Deontay Johnson when they get Roethlisberger back next year. That whole situation will look a lot different. Uh, So 
definitely buys, but but wait on it. L- let's see how the year plays out. And if those guys' values continue to fall down and you could ever get any of them for third round, I think it's a no-brainer. Uh, and even I'd be maybe even willing to pay a late second rounder for McLaurin. Maybe it, it would depend on kind of what I have and what I need to do with, with that draft pick. I don't think, you know, it's a very special type of draft potentially coming out. And it kind of depends on maybe what your roster situation looks like. Do you need that pick to move up in the draft? Are you looking to target, you know, a running back that, that could be there in the second round or a tight end or a quarterback? Maybe you have plenty of depth at wide receiver. Uh, so there's a lot of, it's hard to sometimes have a, you know, a clear value, but, but I think if you can get him for a late second to mid third, that, that would be a very successful, uh, swap in the off season. Yeah, no, I, and again, to your point, I think speaking of tight end, this is to me, this is not the class to overpay for the tight ends. I mean, I'd be more inclined to go after Irv Smith Jr. I'd be more inclined to try to trade for Noah Fant. I'd be more inclined to maybe go and touch base with the OJ Howard owner. I'd be more inclined to look at the, uh, you know, the Will Disley owner and just say, Hey, listen, anybody, you know, you're ready to cash out because I did. I cashed out on Will Disley. I don't know what's going to happen in Seattle, but you never know. Um, you, you, this is the time to, to maybe use your third round pick in a draft this special where people are clamoring to get a piece of it. This might be the time where you try to get that third round pick and turn him into somebody who people are saying is maybe mediocre or hasn't emerged quite yet. Like I'm telling you, and I keep sounding like a broken record, Paul, but I, I mean, cause Paul knows I paid for him dearly in our, our league already. Um, I think Irv Smith Jr. is that guy, for example, I would pay for him. I did pay for him because I think he could emerge, you know, as being a real receiver for that team next year in that 11 to 12 point a week type of tight end. And that's very valuable. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll even say this because of how great of a class this is. If you're in need of a tight end and you don't want to go tight end hunting in this year's rookie class, but there are other people that maybe have an extra tight end, I would check in with the TJ Hawkinson owner. Yeah, because Because TJ Hawkinson is going to be clearly superior to any tight end that's available in this year's upcoming tight end class. And what happens is TJ Hawkinson got pushed up last year because the lack of clear top level rookies and rookie drafts. But normally TJ Hawkinson would probably have been a second round pick. You think you can get TJ Hawkinson from somebody right now? I I don't know if right now, but if, if the rest of the year plays out and Hawkinson doesn't show much in the receiving game, I think people live in a in a world of instant gratification, even in dynasty leagues. Listen, I'm not saying you wouldn't have to pay, but if you need a tight end and you're willing to give up your late round one rookie pick in a star-studded draft, or you're willing to give up an early round two pick, and these people are looking at the you know the opportunity to draft another guy from you know. I don't know. Pick all CD lamb. I want CD lamb. Yeah. Like I, I, I want cam acres or I want, you know, you know, Chubba Hubbard is the sexy new name that I want, like in the top of the second round of a rookie draft or something like people value those rookie picks. And if all of a sudden this draft looks like it's going to be as good as it is, somebody might look at it and say, 
yeah, I, I spent the tenth overall pick last year on TJ Hawkinson, but he gave me nothing. If I can, if I can, if I can turn around and basically get a pick similar to range, maybe only a, a few picks behind what I what I used on him, and I can get somebody from this class, maybe not the tight end position, but that's what I'm saying. It would have to be a team that maybe has another decent tight end or is just enamored with this draft class. I don't think it's out of realm of possibility. I mean, he's had one relative game all season. He he was great week one. And he's done nothing since. But tight end is it's, that's not abnormal. What Evan Ingram did his f- first year, and in glimpses OJ Howard did his first year, is rare. What Chris Herndon did last year is rare for yeah, the tight right. end position. So so, but I so I'm just saying I don't think it's crazy to check in on the TJ Hawk with the TJ Hawkinson owner. If you're willing to pay a decent price, I mean, don't, don't, don't embarrass yourself and, and reach out to the TJ Hawkinson owner and just, you know, and when that guy, you know, or girl spent the first round rookie pick on him, you know, and offer your third round pick. I mean, you, you got to come with a good offer. You got to come with a top let, let me, a let me get round pick or a late first round pick. Let me, let me close out with this. Cause I love playing these games with you. We're going to close out with this though. All right. We don't get to talk about this, even though we're going to want to ready. I'm going to ask you a question. 2020 first round pick or the player I'm about to mention. Okay. You ready for this? Yep. 2020 first round pick or Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs. Hands down. Okay. 2020 first round pick or David Montgomery. 2020 first round pick. Not even close for me. I have okay. my, I have my reservations about David Montgomery. You, you can't talk though. This is the you you you're messing up. The, <laughs> you're messing up the game. The game is the game's ruined. No. Okay, 2020 2020 first round pick or Miles Sanders. 2020 first round pick. 2020 first round pick or DK Metcalf. 2020 first round pick. 2020 first round pick or and I'm going this is going to be a this is a curveball. Non Dual quarterback league, Kyler Murray. I, I feel I, like everybody plays two QB. So let's say two QB league. Two QB league, yes. give me Kyler Murray. Okay. All right. Fair enough. 2020 first round pick or Terry McLaurin. Easily the 2020 pick. Okay. I feel like after that, it begins to get into a silly discussion. I feel like those would be the guys. I mean, we we said Miles Sanders, we said David Montgomery, we talked about Josh Jacobs. Um, I, I, I other than you know, other than like you said, other than Kyler Murray, I mean, I don't really feel like there's any other relevant players to kind of consider. Is there anybody I'm missing? No, I mean, there's no other, there's no other clear cut. Like, I mean, if AJ Brown was a full time player performing week in and week out, you know, I love AJ Brown, but but right now. If it was a, you know, I would probably even move him, you know, for, for a 2020 pick based on opportunity and landing spot. But it, it would depend on where the pick is in, in the first round, to be honest with you, because as good as this class is, you know, if it was a late first round pick, I might not move it for AJ Brown, to be honest with you, because I still am a believer in him long term. But more than not, a lot of the guys you said, I, we said this last year, it wasn't a great year. You know, Josh Jacobs was the guy, hands down. He was the one guy last year that I felt really good about. And after that... Ladanian Tomlinson had him as one of his top five running backs in the 
in the respective conferences. So he had him as a top 10 running back in, in football right now. Yeah, I mean, he should have been on the NFL rookie report, but I could talk about him every single week. He's he's a star. He's a star, yeah. and, and he should even be getting more work, and he should be getting more work in the receiving game, and I hope that comes. Because if so, he's a guy who will be regarded in Dynasty as a top 10 overall Dynasty asset. He will be a guy that will be a perennial first-round redraft uh, pick as well if he shows a little bit more in, in the in the receiving game because he yeah. can do it all. So well listen, I agree with you on all of them except I think I mean I still hold a little bit of a candle, a little bit more for David Montgomery. I'm not sure I would throw him back to the Wolves, so to speak. But I mean I think outside of Josh Jacobs, Kyler Murray and David uh David Montgomery, I I, I would throw anybody else back. And that includes my Irv Smith love and my Terry McLaurin and even, even dare I say Hunter Renfro. Um, <laughs> I would, I would even throw Hunter back into the pool. But I, I think, I think it's, I think it, this is one of those years where you could even go back another class and we start getting into that discussion. And we did, think- and we did forget one guy in the mix. Uh, Marquise Brown's a very interesting, yes. interesting one because his big play potential in that offense, I would not be so fast to throw him back into the mix. As talented as some of these receivers are coming out, and yeah, okay, if you told me I can have Jerry Judy or or CD Lamb, but I mean that's now we're talking like the top top of the the rookie draft. Uh, you know, if it was but, a, but I mean, hold down. on though, hold on though, DeAndre Swift, right? I'm just gonna name a couple. Like, see how far down you get before you tell me it's you're gonna keep Marquise Brown. Hold on, DeAndre Swift, you would take over him, yes? Yeah, I would take I would take a handful of running backs and a handful of wide receivers. It, it, what I'm saying is, is that like you could probably see you. It would be a tight grip that you would have to let go of, but he would probably be a guy you could see yourself way to do so, right? Yeah, I mean, again. It, it really does. This is me like, trying to get Paul to trade players to me. By the way, this it really, is how we're it really does depend on the on the level of the pick, though. If it was, you know, like yes, if you're telling me I can get one of the top eight guys, yeah, I was going to say about the top guys, eight. I'm probably saying sure, I'll give up Marquise Brown, but I'm not, I'm not. Let's say, and I like Henry Ruggs a ton. And I think Henry Ruggs could be an explosive player, or even Jalen Rieger, explosive player. I love him. Yeah. But if those guys are the guys that are going to be going in the back end of round one of rookie drafts, you want situation and give me Marquise Brown. I've already seen him show that he can be successful at the NFL level. He's already in an opportunity in a landing spot that that is conducive to his skill set because so much attention is 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 put. in terms of stopping Lamar Jackson. So that's where, you know, and that's the same thing with AJ Brown. I do think, you know, if I, if AJ Brown for the top eight pick or top 10, sure. But if you're talking about right at the end of round one, I'll probably hold my chances with AJ Brown, him developing into the all around guy that I think he can, then, then those guys. But, but yeah, in a vacuum, probably the 2021st is worth more than almost all of these rookies. You know, if you want to average it out and say it's going to be in the six to eight range, if we're just playing the average game, you know, yeah, most players, I'll give me a pick in the six to eight range over just about any rookie from last year's class, except for Josh Jacobs for me. So this this is fun. I know we went a little long here, guys, with the fantasy spin, but hopefully you enjoyed it and 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 stayed with us throughout it all and enjoyed it. If you're enjoying what Matt and I are bringing to you, please get over to the website ssfootball.com. Uh, it's the quickest way to get over there. Check out the premium content tab for 
uh, all four notebooks for $9.99. You can check them all out, what each of them entail uh, as well. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. It greatly helps us grow and continue to do what we are doing for you. Matt, any final thoughts? No, I'll be cutting into the Freshman Notebook. We'll be starting up, yes, this week. I will be getting into the Freshman Notebook. So prepare as the high school class of the upcoming, incoming freshmen begin to uh, unfold for all of us. Absolutely, guys. That's just one of the four notebooks you get. Comes out late March to mid-April. It is a must-have for anyone that enjoys the recruiting process, wants to get a leg up on knowing these prospects, the Devi aspect of it, you know, in advance, years in advance for your dynasty rookie drafts or just general fans of college football to learn about those, you know, next next stars uh, a little bit earlier than maybe just about anybody else uh, that you, you know, might talk to on a regular basis about it. So it, it's a must get. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nicano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.